Welcome to Pitchside Perspective Podcast with your hosts Stuart Sharples and Jack Kolazar. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Pitchside Perspective Podcast. In this episode, we are putting our analyst hats on and taking a closer look at each team's standout performers. From strikers to defenders, we are going to pick who we think has had a great first half to the season and who will be carrying their team for the second half. Talking about carrying, Jack, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. I don't know who's carrying who, but yeah, good. And uh, this one was interesting because it took a little bit more of uh, homework, I think, looking into every team and picking out their best performer of the year. Not necessarily their best player or their biggest shock, but their, their best performer so far this season. Yeah, I think that was the interesting part, right? You said it there. It's not the best player. It's that it's the the person that's really performed, and it could be could be a player that you don't even really think about week in week out. But maybe that player that's putting in the performance every single week, and as I said there about just lifting and carrying the team. Um, so yeah, definitely a lot of homework has gone into this one. Yeah, and before I know that you're going to have some ridiculous opinions because you always do. Probably gone down a stat hole and found some real weird answers but before we get into Premier League things I got your uh, trivia question well I hope you've, yeah I hope you've taken into consideration that mine was an easier one last week and you're going to go easy on me yeah I think this one's an easy one I think I've set you up here so nice and simple can you name all of the English teams to win the European or Champions League trophy so the European Cup or now Champions League trophy winners from England so I think there's going to be a... F- yeah, this is definitely gettable, I think. I think I might struggle maybe on one or two, but obviously there's a few that definitely come to mind straight away. Um, yeah, but yeah we'll, we'll come back at the end. Maybe there's a curveball in there that I might not pick up. Who knows? Yeah, very gettable. And for the listeners who are smarter, they can do levels. So can you name the teams? Then maybe level two is, can you tell me how many times? And then obviously really impressed if you tell me which years they won it in as well. Yeah, if you can, if you can say how many times you've won it and the years that they've won it as well, I'll be very impressed. Yeah, for sure. If uh, if they can, especially the years, right? Number of times they've won it is definitely doable. But if you can list off how the years that the teams won it in as well, then fair play. Yeah, when we get it on Instagram, drop, drop it in the comments and uh, we'll see who's uh, the first person to get it. Um, but I, I like, like I said before in the last episode, I love this time of year, just pure game after game after game every single day. And the big thing, United, we are back. We're back, baby. Everyone everyone wrote us off 2-0 down, including myself, but I gave my in-laws a heart attack on Boxing Day, screaming the house down when Rasmus Hoyland stuck it in. And you just saw the emotion on his face. That face was mirrored on my face. I was buzzing. Yeah, Christmas miracle, him scoring. Yeah, flying now, mate, up to six. (laughs) Mate, laugh all you want. But this is it. That is just a little Kickstarter for our season. A few of our players are coming back. Just watch out, all right? United are coming back. So Jim Ratcliffe's getting in there. He's going to throw a little bit of money in there. Just watch out. That's all it I'm saying. Definitely a Jekyll and Hyde performance. First half, I thought you were absolutely shocking. And then second half, really, too fair, dominated the second half, I think. Yeah, like I said, I was at my in-laws boxing day and I think I taught them some new words that I was screaming at the TV in that first half. It was it was poor. Um, yeah, the, the next game's away at Forest, so you'll probably lose that knowing the, the way the season's gone for United up and down. Exactly, who knows? But it gave me something to cheer for and like you said, a Christmas miracle. But I don't know, what do you, what do you make of Man City? I know obviously they won uh, the other day, but then that 2-2 against Palace, like they, they keep fluctuating between... Some poor results. I, I'm sure we're going to talk about one or two of their players, but I think it's uh, Arsenal, Christmas number one. Um, does that mean they're going to go on and, and win the league? Um, I, I mean, when you watch the game, honestly, Liverpool look like the best the best team right now. I think Man City, I think it's two things. One, the hangover of last year and winning the league two years in a row. I think a lot of people spoke about that as being a factor. Um, but a lot of people believe Man City had their squad depth to deal with it. And then I think teams now approach Man City differently to the last couple of years. I think they believe they can go there and score goals against them. Whereas in the past, you didn't get a kick of the ball, so you couldn't score a goal. Whereas now I think teams 
they've got a little bit more belief when they're playing against them. Obviously, they're still a very good team. Arguably, even though they're, well, are they now, what, five points behind Liverpool as we're recording this? Um, you could argue they're still favourites to win the league. Because if any team's going to put five, six, ten wins together in a row, it's going to be them. Yeah, and they got De Bruyne coming back. I mean, they, uh, they're they infamous for obviously the second half of the season really kicking on. And what was it, last year that they put on that unbeaten spell and they went and just won pretty much every single game. So you're never going to write City off. But I don't know, I would like to see somebody else other than City winning it. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely, but I think the other big factor will be Liverpool and Arsenal, not necessarily how they perform, but how they do with injuries. I think Arsenal at the top end, if they get one or two injuries um, to their attacking players, I think that will be a big blow for them. But then I think with Liverpool, it's the opposite end of the field. I think if they lose, say, Van Dijk, we've seen what happens in the past there when they lose one or two defenders. So injuries will definitely be a big part of it. And then being pretty exciting at the bottom end of the table as well, Luton getting a couple of wins. Yeah, Luton have definitely been, I think, uh, everyone's favourite story at the moment so far this season of like, and obviously what's happened there, obviously with uh, their centre-back Lockyer and, and whatnot, everyone's kind of rooting for them to, to get out there. Um, I mean, Sheffield United are down, um, I don't care what you're saying, uh, Burnley are there or thereabouts, so I think that, that A-team spot could be between a few teams. You look at Crystal Palace at the moment, Roy Hodgson... Could he be the next manager to go, potentially? Um, Brentford have been... They're struggling. I think they've lost their last four games. Um, but a big one, obviously, for Brentford is Ivan Tony coming back into the fold. Um, but I think I think this January... I'm going to make a bold prediction. This January transfer window is going to be one of the highest um, like money spent that we've had in, in recent years. I think if you're a, a Liverpool, if you're an Arsenal maybe even a Tottenham, you're going to go and spend, maybe get one or two players in to bolster your team and go and win the league. Yeah, definitely at the top end, the, the doors, Man City have left the door open a little bit, giving people a bit of confidence they can go and win it. And it's going to be a case of who's out there. And then you've got other teams too. Man United obviously need to bring in something. Newcastle have, it seems, money to spend. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Chelsea always spend. But then at the bottom end, those teams that are struggling don't have money to spend, right? Luton don't have money in the bank to spend. I don't think Burnley or Sheffield United will spend. Sheffield United didn't even spend in the first place. Everton really have kind of their hands tied a little bit in that aspect too. So for me, relegation-wise, Sheffield and Burnley, like you say, have already got one foot down. The last spot is for me is going to be between Forest and Luton. I don't like how Forest sacked Steve Cooper. I know, obviously... Mm. They were in a dangerous spot, but for what he's done for Forrest. But again, if Forrest stay up, they're going to look and go, well, maybe that was the right decision. Um, but yeah, I think this January window is definitely going to be an interesting one across the board. Uh, Chelsea will probably go and put down the whole wedge again and sign another four or five players. Uh, but then like, if I'm like a West Ham, West Ham are knocking on the door for like a, a top six spot. Do they go and sign a mainstay striker? Do they go and sign another centre-mid to partner with James Ward-Prowse and uh, Piquetta? Like, it's a risk you take, right, in terms of putting down the money and maybe not finishing in those spots or an injury getting picked up. But I think I think this has been one of the most exciting Premier League seasons that we've had in a long time. I think it's obviously turned into a two-horse race last year. In the last couple of years, it's been two, maybe three teams. But again, across every part of like the mini segment, like top four, like Europe, mid-table, bottom part. There's so many teams that are fluctuating. Yeah, it seems like every week there's an unexpected result. So it's definitely been a, a good, interesting season so far. Whether that stays the same in the second half of the season, I think I think teams, the top teams will start kind of getting their rhythm together and then the league will become a little bit more predictable second half of the season. Yeah, no, definitely. So I think... I think we start and we go alphabetical um, in terms of going from Arsenal all the way into Wolves and West Ham and we look at who we think is the top performers. And like you said at the start, right, it's not the best players, it's the best performers and who we think has had a, a big influence on the team. Um, so Arsenal, Jack, I'll uh, I'll hand the mic over to you. Yeah, bit of an obvious one. I'll be surprised if you haven't um, agreed with me on this one. I've gone for Declan Rice, big impact. Um on both sides of the ball and obviously some really important last minute 
winning goals as well. No, oh, I definitely think he's made a big, big influence on the team. Um, I've gone for Saliba. Um, I, I was thinking about Declan Rice being the top performer for that team, and you've probably got a strong argument for it. I just think Saliba being so young and grown in that position. Um, and I think Arsenal and Liverpool are the only the joint top for conceding the least amount of goals on 16. So, And Declan Rice has a big part to play in that. Um, but I think Saliba is Mr. Consistent as a centre-back. And I saw on the Overlap podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, they said if there was one player from an international team you could have play for England, and a lot of them said Saliba as a centre-back because obviously England struggled there. I just think he's such a good defender for his age as well. Yeah, and it's interesting you said about the, uh, the stat on Arsenal and Liverpool because I think the best two centre-backs in the league so far this season have been Saliba and Van Dijk, performance-wise. Um, but like you said as well, Declan Rice has an impact on that good defensive record for Arsenal and is also, you know, really, he has scored the goals that have given them the points in a number of situations. So I think when it comes down to who's gained you the points, he's come up in big, big moments. Yeah, that that, uh, that goal he scored against Luton, right? Last minute, he saw the passion. I think... I think he's in for a shout of being signing of the season across all the teams. Um, yeah, he's up there. I've got someone else in my list that I'm going to give signing of the season so far to, though. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, I would say Saliba Rice, definitely one of the top two players of Arsenal. I think in terms of players that might have slightly underperformed, I, I was expecting more from Saka and Martinelli, to be fair. Um I feel like they, they had a really good season last year and they could have maybe kicked on a little bit more. Don't get me wrong, they've played well, maybe more so Saka than Martinelli. But Declan Rice, I think I would agree with you, has just carried that team forward and kind of dragged them through from a from a one point into three points. So I'd agree with you on that one. We're going Rice. And I, I think it's a good point about Saka and Martinelli. They, it's not that they've played badly. They just haven't had that run of you know four or five games where they seem to score in every match and tear people apart but they've been good they just haven't you know really stood out the other one who's done a bit better than I thought he would have done as well especially lately is Havertz um, interesting yeah, he got a load of stick didn't he at the start like why are we signing him he's poor and but he's stepped it up the last few games I'll give him some credit yeah and something I didn't realise is he's actually younger than Nketiah wow so when you think about people talking about a young up and coming striker and he's doing really well and progressing and then on the other side they talk about Havertz like he's you know, underperforming. So I think that's an interesting one too. Yeah, I'm sure in the next few weeks we'll look at transfers and what's needed, but I definitely think Arsenal definitely need a, a striker. They haven't got one at the moment. Um, but then for me, talking about strikers, the next team, Aston Villa, there can only be one player who's a top performer and it has to be Ollie Watkins. He's been unbelievable for them. Mm, I've gone uh, Douglas Louise. I think Douglas Louise. I think I'm right. Most passes and most possessions won in the whole Villa team, which as a midfielder, you can't really argue with that. If you're winning the ball and you're making the most passes, I'm certainly up there. Um, and I also think he just talent-wise, if there's one player from the Villa team that gets in almost every other team in the league, it's Douglas Louise. Uh, that's interesting you say that about getting into other teams because like, I look at like an Ollie Watkins. I think if you went... If you're Arsenal, you snap him up. If you're Tottenham, you're snapping him up. Um, I think the only two teams that probably don't need him is probably Liverpool and City. But I think Ollie Watkins is... He's probably got one eye on that England team for the summer, going, I want to be in that team. If Harry Kane goes goes and gets an injury, I want to be in there with a shout of being... And I think at the moment, he's the under Kane, he's the best English striker we've got. His movement, he's clinical in the box, and he's starting now to really tick over. I like your stat you said there about Louise, about passes under pressure, but for me, you look at influence of that team, Ollie Watkins has been a huge influence on that team. Yeah, no, I'll give you Ollie Watkins just because I don't want to rely too heavily on stats on any of these anyway, but I do think Douglas is a very good player. Ollie Watkins, I think, like you say, is one of the better strikers in the league, but I think as much as that's down to him being a good striker, I also think it's down to, I mean, we've spoken about it on previous shows, about a lack of top, top-end strikers um, outside of kind of Haaland, um, who's your next best. So, yeah, but I'm, I'm happy to go with Watkins there. Yeah, I think the, the standard of strikers in the Premier League definitely has kind of dropped, like last year, Haaland, Kane, 
Whereas now it's a case of Haaland's obviously the clear uh, front runner, but who's taking that kind of second third place? I'm looking now at like the top goal scorers in the Premier League, and there's a few interesting shouts in there that you probably wouldn't have put in there at the start of the season, and I'm sure one or two will probably pop up later on. Um, so then the next team we're going to look at is a team that I kind of slated at the start, but they've kind of picked it up in recent weeks and are probably one of the most informed teams, and that's Bournemouth. Yeah, they won, what, four on the bounce, something like that now? Um, I've kind of, this one I had a split opinion on. This is the only one where I couldn't really decide. I had um, Solanke, which is probably the obvious choice, especially coming off his hat-trick recently. And the other one was uh, Philip Billing, defensive midfielder, who I think is a, a good player and, and comes up in big moments to score kind of worldies from 25, 30 yards out. So, yeah, they're my two shouts on this one. Yeah, so Solanke, for me, has really stepped it up. Um and I know this is obviously an audio podcast, but that header that he done, and I'm just like simulating it on the camera now to Jack, but that header in that Paris hat trick, unbelievable the way he's turned his body and he's got on it. I think he's he's probably chasing the tail of, of Watkins here and saying, you know what? I might get in with a shout here. Because if you, again, I go back to the striker um, issue with England. Yes, you've got Kane. Then underneath that, I think you've got a bulk of players who are very similar with each other. I think Watkins and Solanke could both offer you something coming off the bench. The, my only question would be to, Solan, uh, to Solanke is, can you maintain this for the next three or four months? Yeah, and to fair Solanke, I mean, he started off at Chelsea, had a little loan spell like all the Chelsea youngsters did at that period. Then Liverpool wanted him, um, but didn't really you know, score the goals for Liverpool. And so he's obviously a talented player if those type of clubs are in for him. And now maybe it's coming to fruition a little bit. So, um, yeah, let's put Slunky down as Bournemouth's top performer. Yeah, and I think as well, yes, we're talking about his goals, but the way Iriola is wanting to press and, and go after the back line, I think Solanke's such a hard worker as well. And his work rate just to chase down the defenders and nip it off them and they've got an exciting team coming up it's just whether or not they can maintain it like we said um but yeah so moving then on to to Brentford Brentford I struggled with this one because I think they've got a lot of underperformers uh, I've gone for Buena just because I think obviously the biggest worry for Brentford this year was going to be replacing Ivan Turner until he gets back and he's available again and I think you know he and Buena has kind of somewhat done that with some goals um, to get them over a line in a few games. Not quite replaced him, but I think he's been good enough when he's needed to be. Yeah, I think he's been good enough. And you look at him and uh, Johan Visa as well, and it's they're trying to replace the goals of Ivan Tony. But for me, it was um, the, peop- uh, the person supplying those uh, chances and Matthias Jensen. Um, I've, I watched the Brentford game not the one that they just lost to Wolves, but the one I think uh, just before Christmas, and everything goes through him. He's so pivotal, pivotal to that team. And we spoke at the start of this podcast of maybe it's not the best players, but it's the most influential players. And I think he's such an influence on that team. And I was reading the stat that he's, I think, the third best player for creating chances from set pieces. Um, James Ward-Prowse and I think it was the Luton player, Alfie Doherty. But... He set pieces, he's command in the middle of the field. I think he's kind of one of those unsung heroes, Matthias Jensen. I think uh, he's elegant on the ball um, and he's got that little bit of skill and he uh, he played very well against United when we played him um, a while back. But for me, I, I just think he's a very calm and composed player. That is a big influence on that team. Yeah, this isn't one I'm going to like die fighting for so if you feel strong on that one I'm, I'm happy to go I think Mbwena's done well but you know they're definitely going to be an interesting team when Ivan Tony comes back I think it was their director of football at Brentford I can't remember his name now but he was saying look if a team from from another league or the Premier League come with the figure that we have in mind we're happy to let Ivan Tony go um, and I think if he does go then the two players that you've said there in terms of Burma and Visa, they've really got to step it up to make sure Brentford stay in that league because I don't see goals coming from anywhere else in that team. So what, what's the figure? What's the figure you would put on Ivan Tony? How long has he got? I think he's got two more years left on his contracts. I think you're talking minimum 
45, 50 million. And I think that's cheap for a striker. For a proven goal striker, I think I think you could probably get him for 50 million plus add-ons. Um, because I think you've got to take into consideration that he has just missed six months, which is a long time to be out of top level of the game. So are you running a little bit of risk? But there's there's quality. I, I would go sign him at United. And I think Arsenal have been linked to him as well. Um, maybe it's onwards of 60, 70 million to snap him up and maybe they replace him with somebody else. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking more than... I, I was thinking more like 75, 80 million just because of the goal scoring and it's the most valuable thing in the league and it's hard to find those goal scorers. So I think they can kind of make whatever figure up they want to make and it'll get somewhere close to it. Um, okay, so who are we going for with Brentford? I mean, I think you could really flip a coin on this one, whether you're going with Inbermo or Matthias Jensen. Um, either or, really. I'm, I'm, they can both be in for a shout of top performers. Yeah, let's go with Jensen. It sounds like no one really cares about Brentford, doesn't it? <laughs> That's harsh. Um, all right, so let's move on then to Brighton. Um, Brighton, for me, have been a, a weird one this season. I think, yeah. I think they had so much expectation on them. Yes, they lost a couple of players, but I don't know. I just, I just feel everyone raves and raves about Brighton and the way they play. Yet their form has been so inconsistent, and I think that's the same with their players as well. I looked around at who, for me, is their top performers, not based on stats, but who's kind of influenced and carried that team. You look at Matoma. Matoma's first year last year in the Premier League, and he was awesome. Absolutely fantastic, blistering, taking players on. And don't get me wrong, he, he's somewhat done that this season, but I don't really hear people talking about him as much as they did last year. Um, the biggest name for me that a lot of players are talking about has been Evan Ferguson. I think he's kind of been their breakout player. Maybe he hasn't scored the most amount of goals, but I think he's been a key player for them when he has played. But... Yeah, Brighton have been very up and down. It's funny because I saw them play pre-season against Chelsea and it was almost kind of like a a good summary of their season. They played, obviously, in the style that they're playing, which was really attractive and you were like, wow, they look brilliant. And ultimately, they lost the game to Chelsea who looked nowhere near the level that Brighton were at. So it was almost like a, a, a small summary of their season so far. Um, but for me, it's, it's Pascal Gross has been their best performer um, players anywhere, any position you want to play him, he can play it. Um, I think he leads their assists, six assists, as well as scoring a few goals. For me, he's their he's their best player right now, which I don't think anyone would have said at the start of the season. But yeah, very good. Pascal Gross for me is a definite. Yeah, no, I do like him. He, uh, he he's another one that kind of goes under the radar. Like you look at Brighton's team. And there's so many players that get the headlines and he's kind of like the, the one underneath that. But he's such a, a pivotal figure for Brighton and the way they play. And like you said, he's played in numerous positions and he plays them so well. He, uh, yeah, for me, he he would be in for a shout of being the, the best performer so far for Brighton. Um, and, he, and he's had one or two injuries, I, I believe. And he's still come back and performed. And as you know, it, it, it can be hard that when you do pick up an injury to to keep going again, but nothing seems to stop him. Um, and he chips in with the goals, he chips in with assist. He's almost like a kind of how like James Milner was for Liverpool, like last year and the years before, like playing in numerous positions, and he gives you like a a seven, eight out of ten every single week, like Mister Consistency. Yeah, um, I, I actually think that's his. Like, that's why he's underrated. Because I think people go like, "Oh, he's a versatile, generic player." And they actually miss how much quality he actually has. Um, Ferguson, I think, is like obviously a bit like you said, he's that breakout player where for his age he's playing really well and starting to score goals, got himself a hat trick, and that obviously put his name out there big time. But in terms of week in, week out performer, it's uh, Pascal Gross for me. Oh, I like it. I like it. So then moving on, Burnley. Again, this was another tricky one for me. Trying to trying to find some positives within their team. I'm not sure about you. Yeah, I mean, I just put Lyle Foster because he's on top of their goals and assists record. But the one, actually, to be fair, who I think is probably their most exciting player, but he's been out a lot, is uh, Luca Kolo. What's it called? Kolo? 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 
Kalilsha. Is that what you see? That's his name. <laughs> like he's the one who like gets on the ball and wants to run at a defense. And you know, when Burnley go down, and I think it is a when and not if, I think he's one of the players that, you know, some of the other Premier League teams might be looking at picking up. Um Kalilsha, that is. But also Lyle Foster in terms of stats is leading for them, if you can call it leading. Yeah, and, and didn't he take a, a short break out of the game as well for mental health reasons? And he's still come back and been an influence on Burnley's team. Um, but for me, the one player that I've, I've liked watching is their, their keeper, the young lad, James Trafford. I think for, for how young he is coming into the Premier League game and getting batted every game, he still wants the ball to his feet. He's still comfortable trying to play out. He he isn't the most imposing in terms of size or whatever, but I was looking again at his stats. He's the number two for the most punches made from crosses. Uh, you've got the likes of Alisson and Nick Pope surrounding him. Um, and then also, he's made the second most saves in the Premier League. So he's definitely getting a lot of experience. Um, and I think he's going to be one for the future that a few teams might snap up. He was at Man City last year, and I'm sure they'll be looking to see if they put a buyback clause in his, uh, in his contract. No, he's a good young goalkeeper, and I think he really kind of made his name playing for England's under-21s, right, when they did well in uh, the national tournaments, and I think he saved some penalties. Um, so he's a good young goalkeeper. I think stats for goalkeepers are always a tough one because, you know... <laughs> Man City's goalkeeper is not going to make the most saves. Or maybe, well, who knows this season? But the, the keeper that's going to be making the most saves is the one that's having the most shots taken on them. So it's it's tough to rely on stats to pick out the best goalkeeper. But I do think he is a good young goalkeeper. And I think it was quite a good pickup from Burnley to get him now because I think he either becomes Burnley's number one for a long, long time or he does really well and they make some money on selling him to a bigger club. Yeah, I think you're right there. I think... If I'm James Trafford, I'm staying there for a good few years, picking up some experience, even if they go down to the championship. As you know, like the championship is a very tough and long, grueling season that he's going to get even more experience and exposure there. But yeah, I, I see him being definitely one for the future. Um, but you just look at you look at how company wants to play, and I think he's a big influence in that in terms of playing out from the back and being so young. So for me, I would put up a strong argument for be, saying James Trafford being um, one of the most influential players there at Burnley. Yeah, let's get a goalkeeper involved. We'll, we'll get Trafford in there for the goalkeeper's union and um, one for the future as well. And then uh, moving on, Chelsea. For me, Chelsea, there can only be one player who is, I think, the standout player for them. Um it was actually a player that I think was looking to to leave at the start of the season. And that's Conor Gallagher. Conor so, Gallagher, for me, has been one of their best players this year. I don't think he's been their best central midfielder. He goes around kicking people That's for 90 minutes. All right, d- just pause one second, listen to this. He leads the charts. Are you going to pull off a lot of random stats? Just, just pause, all right? all right? Just relax. You carry on learning that Burnley's player's name. Just listen. <laughs> Assists, highest assists, highest chances created, most tackles won, most interceptions won, most possession won, and the most distance covered. First, 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 first out of all the players in Chelsea. But that's because he's the only one who plays every week. Everyone else gets rotated around. Yeah, because they're crap. Well, I would say, who would you rather go to Man United right now? Conor Gallagher or Enzo Fernandez? Conor Gallagher. That's a lie. You would happily. Give I don't think. I don't think Enzo Fernandez has been as good as people thought he was going to be. For the price tag he came in, I think he's been poor. I think he's gone missing in games. I think you he can't judge people by their price tags. They don't decide their price tag. That's up to other people. No, they don't. He's been, but... he's been Chelsea's best player, but he's actually not my pick. My pick is Cole Palmer. And yeah, Cole Palmer, I think is a is a good player and has shown really good potential, but. Has he been the most influential player and the top performer at Chelsea? The answer is no, it's Conor Gallagher. Six goals, three assists for Cole Palmer, a couple of stats there that actually mean something, not your random weird stats that you like to pull off. Well, no, no, no. So Conor Gallagher has more assists than Cole Palmer. He's created more than Cole Palmer. No, no. So how many goals has Conor Gallagher scored for midfield? I'm not sure how many goals he's got, but you need somebody to set up the goals. Who's had the bigger impact? Conor Gallagher. I think it's called Palmer. Maybe I'm just, maybe it's just 
like don't like if you're talking about ability, Cole Palmer wins. But Conor Gallagher, if we're talking about who's been every team's top performer, the top performer is based on these numbers here. It's Conor Gallagher. Sky Sports is literally looking at me on the screen saying Conor Gallagher is Chelsea's best player this year. Um, I you can't win so. this argument. But that's this is, a, this is an argument between one person who goes onto a website and looks at stats and one person who watches games and looks at who's been playing well. Did you not, one of your first players, Douglas Louise, read off a load of stats? And then I and I let you take that one because I said I don't want it to be relied on stats. All right, well, I'm not a pushover, so I'm sticking with this one. But I'm, I'm, there's probably two or three other Chelsea players that you would have had a better argument with than, than uh, Conor Gallagher. Well, I think this one is going to be a case of agreeing to disagree. Maybe maybe this is the one that we clip up and we, we put it out to the, the audience of who's been Chelsea's most influential player. No, I mean, if you if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. Uh... I don't see any other player that's been more influential for Chelsea. The, the only player that, for me, creeps in there is um, the right-back, Gusto. I think he's been a great player coming into the team. You just Do you just like Chelsea players that get sent off a lot? <laughs> but I like I like Chelsea players that are consistent that play most of the games. Enzo Fernandez is either injured or he's out because he can't play. I feel like Conor Gallagher does a lot of a lot of hard work, a lot of I guess the uh, less attractive stuff. But I think there's probably thirty players that could do Conor Gallagher's job at Chelsea. Whereas right, I think let... there's only maybe five or ten that could do Cole Palmer's. Maybe question, less for than 10. question for you. Would which, you one, say... which one would you rather take in the England squad? Cole Palmer. Right. So that's, that's based on talent. That's not based on performances. But let me ask you a question. Is typically the captain of a team one of the most influential players in terms of performers, character, attitude? Yes, they are. Right now at Chelsea, would you say that? No, I'm not asking you at Chelsea, but I'm just saying to you, a captain typically is the top performer, the most influential, and who's had the armband this season? Conor Gallagher. He's taken it off of Silver, and that's and Silver's a he must be an influence. And for Conor Gallagher to come in and take the armband, I think, in all honesty, I've won this argument. Well, because he he's the captain. <laughs> I am the captain now. Conor Gallagher is in. Oh, uh, fine. I can't believe you said Conor Gallagher out of all the Chelsea players you could have said. Well, just get ready because I've got a few controversial uh, names coming up as I look through my list. So, uh, with time coming along, let's push on to then to Crystal Palace. Eze. Eze's your player? Yeah. Well, hold on to your hats, folks. Jordan Ayew. Jordan Ayew's a championship player. It's correct in terms of his talent. But he's Roy Hodgson's number one player in there every game. He works his absolute socks off. And you were just saying that Roy Hodgson's about to get sacked. So you've just won that argument for me. So we're going Eze, Crystal Palace. That's good. Well, uh, hang on, hang on. I think Eze's going to be a top talent, but he also has to keep himself fit as well. Yeah. But like, so I don't think you can put him in. As, he's maybe their best player, but I don't know if you can put him in as top performer because how much has he actually played? What has yeah, he done? But I, I would rather have him for five games than, than your boy for 15 games. Whatever team you're going to end up managing in the future is going to have a bucket load of injuries. I'm all about hard work and pushing on. Come on, you're from Yorkshire. It's all about true grit and hard work. And you're talking about all these pretty boys that have the fancy feet. No, talent and hard work together is what makes you a good player, not just one or the other. All right, so, uh, yeah, I think... There's no, way, there's no way he is getting on this list. All right, well, if I've won the Chelsea battle, you can win the Crystal Palace one. I'll give you uh, I'll give you Eze going in there. And I do hope he kicks on because I think he could be a player that gets into the England team in the future. I think he... I just love how he glides past players and he's he's so casual on the ball. No, I, I do like him. Um so then, on to the naughty school children, on to Everton. Who have you picked here? I'm going with Abdullah Dukhari. I like him a lot. I think he is, you know, when you think about previous managers didn't really rate him at all, wouldn't play him. I guess he is kind of Sean Dyson's type of player. He's powerful, he's strong. 
gets around the field a lot. Also gone in with, what, six goals, I think it is this so far this season. They've chipped in with the goals as well. Helped Everton become a, a lot more solid than previous years, I think, in the midfield area. So, yeah, that's my... Yeah, no, he's definitely surprised me in terms of how many goals he's popped up with. I I did not have him as a, a goal-scoring midfielder. I just kind of looked at him as, like like you said, that Sean Dyche, typical, strong, solid centre midfielder. Um, I do agree with you that I think he definitely has been very influential, especially in recent weeks. The only player that I would have a slight argument for getting in there ahead of him would be uh, James Tarkovsky. I think he's... I think he's been one of the best centre-backs in the Premier League this year. Um, not in terms of possession style or anything like that, but he leads the Premier League with number of blocks. Like He's one of those players that is always going to get his body in the way. He, I just think he's a very good centre-back and he brings that leadership that maybe Everton have been missing. Um, again, another Sean Dice player there. But I would give that um, Decore has definitely had a really good season for Everton um, and I think he'll be instrumental in keeping Everton up this year Yeah and I think Tarkowski is also helped by the young centre-back next to him, Branfwit who I think is a really talented defender who um, you know, is making a good name for himself this season, playing regularly now um, so I think, they have a good, I think they have a good centre-back pairing together there, or a good defensive pairing I'd say yeah, two English centre-halves. I mean, you've got Tarkovsky, who's number one for blocks, and uh, Jared Brathwaite is in the top five for headed clearances. So they definitely have formed a reliable partnership. Um, and I think I think Brathwaite's definitely got a good future ahead of him. Um, but I think if we're looking at top performers and most influential players so far, I think it has to be Decore, right? Yeah, let's go with Decore. All right, so then moving on. Uh, to West London to to Fulham. Yeah, Fulham. I think I don't think this player necessarily has played as well as he can play. But I just think ability wise, he's so far is is quite comfortably their best player. And so even when he's not at his best, he's still their best performer. Um, and that's Palinia. Yeah, I I had him wrote down here. I mean, most tackles so far out of any player. Um. You feel a bit bad for him because he just missed out on deadline day of a move to Bayern Munich. Um, is he maybe looking at it going, you know what, if I have a good August through to December, maybe Bayern might come back in for me or maybe another team comes back in for me. I know there's a few teams looking at him according to like media and social media. Um, he definitely, everything goes through him at Fulham. The only other player that I would throw into the hat here is um, the young American fullback, Robinson. I think he's been pretty good. I think he's very composed on the ball and he loves getting forward. I think uh, I think the United States have a good fullback in him. Um, I think he's definitely going to progress past Fulham and maybe push on to a, a bigger team. Um, I yeah, I, he... I do like him too. I remember watching him play for USA at the last World Cup and liking and liking him. I think, like you say, USA with him at left back and Sergio Das coming up at right back. I've some. I've... You know, a couple of good fullbacks there for them. Um, I think they probably are Fulham's best two players, actually. Yeah, no, um, I, I would put them two in for a shout here. Um, Fulham are one of those mid-table teams that are always kind of going to be fine, right? They're always going to be there or thereabouts. Uh, I mean, yeah, this season, but like if they lose Paulinho, like you're talking about there, Robinson, does he leave at some point? They could, you know, like we've seen with other teams, if you don't keep trying to move forward, you get pulled into that relegation battle. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so that leaves us going up north to, to Liverpool, um, who I think have been altogether the best team of the season. But who have you gone for top performer? Uh, tricky one, because there's a few... Well, there's two or three that could have been. Um, two people that I didn't choose, which I'm even now I'm questioning myself on with Van Dijk, because he's been almost back to his best, I would say. Not not quite back to that one season he had, but he's certainly back up there. Um, and Salah, because, you know, it's Salah and he's just scoring goals and he's just um, he's just being most Salah. Uh, but so the one I went with was actually Trent as under Arnold. I think right now you could argue that he's the best right back, not just in the league, but in the world in, in the things he, he's doing. The assist he got last week, just getting the ball, 
dropping in between the centre backs to get the ball and hitting, you know, a sixty yard ball for Salah to to score a goal, that kind of stuff. Not many players around the world do that. I like the idea that he plays the game and not the position. Um and he's almost kind of reinventing his role in the team. So um and I'm not and I've not always been a massive fan of him because I've always said his defending wasn't good enough. Um but he's kind of changed my mind so far this season. Yeah, no, I think I think it's somewhat hard to call Trent a right back, even though he is playing there. Um I think with Salah playing so high up the field, it kind of stops him getting down the line and playing crosses into ball. It's almost Trent is coming in and playing as a six or an eight in the centre of midfield, and that's where he I think that's where he really thrives. He uh He's such a technician and he's so good on the ball. If you were a striker, you'd be he would be your dream to play with, right? Because he'd always be finding you uh, left, right and centre. So I agree with you that Trent, Salah, I don't think you can ever look past uh, Salah. Uh, but for me, one player that had, I think, a really good start to the season and then in probably the last three or four weeks has dropped off. So I don't think he can be regarded as the top performer. But it's their new lad and I'm going to take my, my time with his name. Dominic Slobosly. Mm. Yeah, I think he he started well, but he he definitely has drifted off. Is it a case of the pace of the Premier League and the physicality of the Premier League has kind of caught up with him? Especially this time of year when games come so thick and fast. But you know, I think a lot of people said that Liverpool needed um, a change in that central midfield area, and they and they managed to get that with him as well as a couple of others. Um, so I think he's done well. I don't think he's been their best performer, but I think he's been a good addition for Liverpool. But I think if you go to the original question of who's been the top performer and the most influential player, I agree with you that Trent would be that player. Trent is. Okay. Um, moving on to everyone's favourite team, Luton. Um, I think Luton have had not an individual top performer. I just think they perform so well as a team. Um, like, I don't think they have a standout superstar in terms of play, uh, playing ability or performance, but they do it as a team. But if I was pressed to pick somebody, it would be the striker. I think Colton Morris came in having a good season last year, obviously finding it hard in the Premier League. But, He's led the line well. He works hard. He's a big unit up top, and he has chipped in with a few goals. Um, if they're going to stay up, then maybe him picking up a few more goals would definitely be impactful for them. Yeah, I, I agree with that. If if Luton and I are going to stay up, I think he he's going to have to score, you know, five or six, maybe more in the remaining part of the season. The thing I think about him is the whole kind of uh, what everyone's thinking about Luton. You know, they want him to stay up. It's this small club fighting against these bigger teams. I think he just personifies that with his attitude, the way the way he plays the game. So I, I agree that um, Colton Morris would be Luton's best performer so far this season. Yeah, that, another name for you that might kind of surprise you, but I think he he gives you exactly what it says on the tin. Andros Townsend. <laughs> I think he's come into that team albeit late mid-season, and he's come in and he's hit the ground running in terms of, you know what you're getting from Andrew uh, Townsend, running down the wing, putting balls into the box, and that suits the likes of Colton Morris to a T. Um, so I think if you if we're doing this at the end of the season, I think Andros Townsend could be one of their best players and best bit of business this year. Yeah, I think that's the Luton strength, is that, that they have a very clear kind of identity where that they're going to try and pick up points so everyone's on the same everyone's on the same page when you look at their team if you compare that to some teams that are maybe underachieving say man united it seems like they're trying to play 10 different styles of soccer all in the same match so yeah no definitely um moving then on to man city um i think an easy one would be right harland i haven't gone for harland actually which Maybe it's a bit silly because you just look at the sheer amount of goals. You could say Haaland. I've gone for someone who, as much as he does great things when he does play, I guess the real deciding factor is what happens when he doesn't play, and that's Rodri. When Rodri doesn't play, Man City are a different team, and they're beatable, and they drop points. They don't do that when Rodri plays. 
Yeah, he's definitely a huge influence there. That the few games that he missed through injury or suspension, I can't remember now. <clears throat> he was he's such a pivotal player in the middle for them. And I know we said stats aren't everything, but I was just looking at the top ten players of who's made the most amount of passes and nine of them are defenders and he's the only midfield player that has made the most amount of passes. And you're now saying that that type of player who's picking it up in the pocket, picking it up in tight areas to make that number of passes, he just keeps Man City ticking over. He is uh, definitely like a Rolls-Royce type player. Yeah, maybe he has that many passes because he almost drops into those centre-backs to get on the ball and becomes that kind of uh, player passing the ball out from the back. But I also don't think you can underestimate how impactful he is in the final third too, right? That kind of in and around, arriving late around the top of the box. Um, and obviously defensively, it's just such a physical unit and an imposing figure to win the ball back consistently and quickly for the team as well. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that we don't really mention Haaland too much. Is it a case of he's that good that you kind of almost disregard him? Like, he's the top, he's the top goal scorer in the Premier League. Like, it's a case of, yeah, he might not have scored for a couple of games, but then, like, he still scored 14 goals this year. So you could say an argument is... He is their best performer because of what he's done there. But the one player that I would give a little bit of credit to, and I think he's taken his chance well, is the young striker, uh, Alvarez. I think he, I think you said it right at the start of the podcast that he is going to be a very good striker and he's almost living in Haaland's shadow. But he's on their set pieces and he uh, he chips in with a, with a goal here and there. I think, uh, I think he could be very influential for City this year. Yeah, and I think, yeah, Alvarez, I think, is in the top five strikers in the league. I had him in as difficultly as that he's playing behind Haaland, but Pep knows how good he is and he still finds a way to put him in the team. Um, and the Haaland, I think, is probably a fair point about Haaland. You know, he scored all those goals, but it's almost expected. So it's like, yeah, of course he's scored 14 goals so far this season. And that's probably be a, probably a little bit unfair to him. Um, so I would be... I wouldn't put Alvarez above Rodri. I don't think he's done enough. I don't think he's as influential enough to put him there. Um, but you definitely made me consider Haaland. Maybe we just overlook him because we expect him to be that good, scoring that many goals. Yeah, no, it's definitely tough. Um, so I think Haaland, Rodri are definitely in for a shout there. Um, so then moving on to Man United. We are allowed to skip this one if we want. Um, I've gone maybe for a surprise shout here, but Scott McTominay. I think he's been so influential for Man United, and I think that would shock people if you said that at the start of the season. Um, but you just look at the number of goals he's scored in the last six to eight weeks. Without those goals, Man United would be in the bottom three. Like it's, He's been very, very good for United, which goes to show where United are right now. Yeah, I don't think anyone has him down before this season as, as a goal scoring midfielder but he's come up with some big goals at big moments um, which is why I've also picked uh, Garnacho especially recently he's come up with goals as well obviously he's got the ridiculous overhead kick but then recently got a couple of goals in the comeback win against Aston Villa um, I guess the good signs for Man United is that it's the young players that are you would say a bit more homegrown not the so-called superstars that are, are the ones coming up with these moments I think there probably are a few kind of bad eggs in the United squad right now that they need to either fix or get rid of. And, you know, maybe it takes a year or two um, not being at the top, top of the table, but giving some space and some um, responsibility to some of these other players that have been produced by Man United. Yeah, no, I think Guy Nacho's had a very good season um, and it's just now a case of can he keep the consistency up Obviously, getting a couple of goals against Villa was crucial. Um, yeah, I uh, I think United have definitely got a gem on their hands there for the next foreseeable future, as long as he stays and he stays injury-free. So, yeah, I would say Garnacho has definitely been probably United's top performer. Um, so then, <clears throat> next team on the list, uh, the Toon Army, Newcastle. I've gone Anthony Gordon, six goals, four assists, get breaking into England squad. I think he's been good. Yeah, I think it's hard to argue against that. I think he's another one similar to Watkins, pushing on the door for that England place in the summer, right? Would you take him? 
Uh, yeah, because if you think who's actually in form out of those attacking wingers, he's in form. You know, I would be if I was him and Rashford got selected ahead of me, I would be pretty upset about that because he's been very poor this season. Um, Grealish has he done enough? I don't know. Um, I know we know Southgate likes to stick with his tried and tested players, but yeah, I think he's done enough to certainly say so. If someone like Rashford got picked ahead of him, to be pretty annoyed about that. Yeah, the thing I love about Anthony Gordon is his resilience. Like, he has been absolutely booted up and down that field in the last few games. That tackle that Caicedo done on the back of his leg was minging. And he's still playing every single week. Like, he must be, he said it in an interview, yeah, we're all carrying knocks. And you look at the type of tricky players, like, who typically get kicked the most. And he's starting every game and putting in a performance. I just love his attitude. Yeah, I think the other one uh, maybe you could argue with Trippier has had some good moments in terms of his... Yeah, but he has dropped off a lot in recent weeks, hasn't he? Yeah. I don't know if his age is catching up with him, and he, but he's I'm made sure. a lot of mistakes. Yeah, I also just like the fact that he's used the word minging. Kind of, that's the first time I've heard that word since about 2002, so nice to bring that word back. Yeah, we might have to translate the word minging. Minging pretty much means horrible, rubbish, terrible. So uh, to the American listeners, yeah, minging <laughs> is uh, a bad word. Um, um... But yeah, I think Gordon goes in. Yeah, Gordon for me takes that spot. Um, for me now, moving on to Forest, one definitely springs to mind. But this is maybe a short-term one that over the last few weeks has been a big influence for them. Maybe not since the start of the year. And that's uh, Anthony Alanga. I think he, in the last few weeks, has been very, very good. Very positive. Whether or not now he can maintain that for the, the second half of the season. Yeah, uh, what's he got? Uh... Three four goals, five assists. Four goals, five assists, something like that. Um, so I also have a longer down. I don't even know who I'd have second after that. Like you said, maybe it's a bit more like recency bias in terms of lately he's been on really good form and that's why we're picking him. Um, but for me, he was clearly my choice. Yeah, no, I think I think if Forrest are going to stay up or be in for a shout, they have to keep a longer fit and keep him going because... I think his pace scares a fullback. Like, if I was playing against him with his pace and his energy, I would be nervous to play against Even as an experience, like Kyle Walker, for example, I still think would be nervous to play against him just because of how young and fresh he is. Yeah, he has enough fear when he's when he's running at people and he wants to impress. Obviously, coming from Man United, he has a point to prove. So, uh, good for him. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, the next one, again, is another relegation candidate in Sheffield United. I really struggled to find anyone that's been good here. Yeah, I just picked the person who I think is their most talented player, which is James McAtee. I think he will be a good player. I think he'll be a Premier League player at some point after this season. I think maybe, you know, he'll have some time in the Championship and whatnot, but um, I think he is their most talented player. The only, other, the only other one for me that sprung to mind in recent weeks was their young striker, Cameron Archer. I think he does have a good eye for a goal. And I'm not sure if he's their top goal scorer, but he's got a few goals. Um, and you look at any team that's going to stay up, they have to have somebody who can stick it in the back of the net. And can he do it on a consistent basis? We'll find out. But yeah, James McAtee, I think, has got a good future in the game. Just a shame that he's at Sheffield United. Um I just think they've come up this season with completely the wrong identity and idea. Yeah, and I like obviously he's on loan from Man City. I do, I can't see him breaking into the Man City squad, but I do think he'll have a a Premier League career, which is something that I don't know how you can say that about many of the Sheffield United players. Yeah, I think he's that he's a Pep Guardiola player. He, I think he's going to be similar to like a Cole Palmer, like coming in, but he might have to realize if I'm gonna see a game in the, or see a future in the game, sorry, I think he has to leave and go play for a mid to low table team and go and get games rather than just sitting on City's bench. Yep. Um, so the next one for me, I think was an easy one on with Tottenham. I think there's one player who's very unfortunate to have been injured because before that he was maybe player of the season. That was James Madison. Yeah, signing of the year, I've got him down as um, James Madison. It's annoying that he got hurt because I think it would have been great, especially as an English player, to keep him keep him fit, keep him playing every week, creating chances and um, setting up goals for Tottenham. So that's a, a disappointing that he got hurt, but 
he has been their best performer of the year without doubt. Yeah, you look at Tottenham, right, how well they started and they started dropping off when the likes of Madison picked up his injury. So it just shows how influential he was for Tottenham. Um, but just like how cheap he was as well. I think it was like 45 million for a player of his ability. I'm surprised there wasn't any other team in. Like it's been it's been said that he was a boyhood Man United fan. If I'm Man United, I would have been going for him over Mason Mount 100%. Yeah, maybe that's more a case of him and Bruno Fernandes in your midfield. I don't know if that would work or not. Um, but he's better than Bruno. I know that might be a big statement, but I think he's definitely better than Bruno Fernandes. Going off this season or going just generally? In general. I think he's, he's more threatening. He's less wasteless on the ball. I think with Bruno Fernandes, if he sees a pass that he thinks he might be able to make, he just makes it. Whereas I think with James Madison, he thinks about it a little bit more... Um, the numbers might not say that, but I just think James Madison is a smarter player and he definitely whinges a lot less. He definitely whinges a lot less. Uh, big shout though. Madison or Fernandez, who's the better player? Mm. Um, so then two teams left. Uh, moving on to the Ws. I think Wolves are very similar to like a Fulham. Like They're always going to be around a mid-table team. Um, but for me, the one player that whenever I watch Wolves play, the one player I love watching and he's been injured, but he's coming back is Pedro Neto. I think yeah. he's, uh, he's got the most assists. Um, he's got the most assists in the Premier League. He's joint with uh, Salah and Trippier on seven assists, and he's been injured. But I just love how he plays. He's. I think he'll end up at... He'll be the next Wolverhampton Wanderers player to go to Liverpool. Yeah, I would have put him in before the injury. That's the only reason I, I didn't have Pedro Neto in, just because of the amount of time you had to miss. Um, so I put Hang- Wang Hee Chan in instead. Um, but I could definitely understand why you'd put Pedro Neto in there. Chan's a sneaky player. Like, I watched him the other game, and he'll get, like, a little bit of a niggle, and he knows how to get his body in the way to kind of buy these fouls as a striker. Um, so if you watch him carefully, he's a very sneaky player. But 10 goals in the Premier League for the first half... If he goes and does that in the second half, you're talking 20 goals. For a mid-table team, that's a really good return. Um, yeah, good math there. Um, I think he is he's one, of those <laughs> players you don't, he's one of those players you don't enjoy playing against. Probably quite frustrating to play against. Um, and, and, but I like look, I'm not saying he's going to go to a top club or anything like that. But like you say, if he's on track for 20 goals in the Premier League season, then people will start looking at him. Um, but I'm, I'm happy to go with Pedro Neto because... The only reason I didn't have him down is the injuries. Yeah, the injuries definitely come into it. But I think if you're talking about influence, when he is playing for them, everything goes through him. Like, he is their main creator of of anything that happens. Um, And now that he's back, I think he's really going to kick off as long as he stays fit and definitely uh, propel Wolves into uh, potentially the top 10. Um, I think Wolves are going to get propelled into the top 10. Potentially. I think Gary O'Neill has done a very good job there. Uh, and I think they could, I mean, maybe, yeah, that 10th, 11th spot. But I think they have some exciting players and they always have done. Um, I think you might see them signing a couple of players as well in, in January with the money that they've made from like the likes of Ruben Nevers and whatnot. Um, I, I mean, I agree. I think the manager's done a really good job. I just think when you look at the, the clubs currently in the top 10, that's a very good list of 10 clubs. It is, but then you look at like Wolves right now. Chelsea, ten for Chelsea, nine for Newcastle, eight for West Ham, seven for Brighton. All right, so let me let me say this to you: West Ham could drop off, Brighton could drop off, United could drop off, Chelsea. You don't know what they're going to happen with. That's what I'm saying. They could end up in that tenth spot, which for me is still top ten. Yeah, no, I just think it's a lot more likely that Wolves drop off rather than say a Chelsea, a Newcastle, a West Ham, a Brighton, Man United, etc. Yeah, no, you're right. all right, then, so wrapping this up then with the final team, West Ham. West Ham, for me, I think have had a very good season. And I, I think it's down to a few players, not just one player. Um, but for me, their main influence has been Jared Bowen. I think I think this will be his last season at West Ham. And I'm sorry, West Ham fans, to say that. But I think you're going to see him at the likes of Newcastle, Tottenham, Maybe a Liverpool or Arsenal. I think he's going to get snapped up. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to leave West Ham. But I agree that he's been their best performer. 11 goals, I think. I also think that Piquet is obviously a real quality player they've got there. Uh, Mohamed Kudus I like a lot. I think James Ward-Prowse was a very good signing for them. He's kind of quieting down a little bit lately, but still um, a good signing for them. But yeah, I would go with Jared Bowen. 11 goals, although I don't think he's got many assists. And you think you think about Jared Bowen though, like when he was at Hull, he was a traditional right winger, and now they're almost putting him up there, up top, and he's yeah. still getting the goals. To show how smart he is as a player. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how many of those, if you think like traditional big six clubs, would be in for him though. I see. I'd be surprised. I think. I think he. So let's take for example Liverpool, where, and where he's going to want to go, where he's going to start. All right, so let's Just take Liverpool. Liverpool for me already say... have the biggest, the most depth in the front three positions. But who starts for Liverpool as a right winger is Salah. If Salah goes to Saudi Arabia, they're going to need to replace in that right wing. Who, when Salah doesn't play, who plays as a right wing for them? No, I think that's, but that's a big if. I if don't Salah think it is a big play. if. I, I don't see Salah at Liverpool next year. I think this would be his last year. Well, I mean, that'll be a big loss, obviously, for Liverpool. And then, yeah, and then maybe maybe Bowen does go there. At um, Newcastle, for example. Unless they find a way of going, what would it be? Diaz on the left, Gakbo on the right, Nunes down the middle. Yeah, but I don't know. I think uh, I think if Bowen continues this, not only will we see him in the England squad, but I think next summer we'll see him in a different squad than West Ham's. I think, there's, I think some of those top six clubs want him, but not but as a backup. And then I don't think he'll go to do that. I think he'd rather be starting every week at West Ham than put it this way: he starts, for me, he starts for me at Man United. Well, yeah, because who you've got on the wings, Canacho and Anthony, who's been a bit of a flop. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I guess that is our top performance or top performers of um, the season so far. I think I might have been maybe a little bit controversial with a few of my shouts but you know what I'll stick with it um, I think the second half of the season has got a lot of potential to have some good stuff in there yeah I think like you said at the start this has probably been one of the more interesting seasons over recent years but at both ends of the table I think um, and it is still the best league in the world so it's uh, it's going to be a good second half of the season oh, definitely and uh, let us know who is uh, your top performers because we might have missed a couple here, and it is a game of opinion. So, yeah, if you think there's players that should be in for a shout, let us know in the comments. Um, but, yeah, I guess before we wrap, Jack, your question. I think I think this might be the first question of the podcast that I've got completely right. Yeah, I'll be honest. I expect you to get the teams and tell me how many times they've won it. All right, so go on and repeat the uh, the question for us. So the question is, can you name the English teams? that have won the European Cup slash Champions League. Okay. So I've got one, two, three, four, five, six teams. Is that correct? There are six teams, yes. Okay, so I'm going to start at the bottom. Man City, most recent. Yep. So last year, they've only won it once. Correct. I'm going to go for another team that I believe have only won it once, and that is Aston Villa. Correct. In the 70s. 1982. Okay. All right. Not far off. Um, winning it twice, I believe, is Forrest. Correct. Not sure of the years. I think that might have been a 70s, 80s mix. Yeah, back-to-back years, 79 and 80. Okay. Another team that have won it twice, Chelsea. Correct. Uh, I'm going to oh, say 17-18 season. No. 2012-2021. All right. Um, Man United, three times. 68-99-2008. Correct. Um, And then, it pains me to say it, but the team that have won it the most, Liverpool with five, six? Six. And yeah, I mean, the most most recent ones, obviously, you've got the, the big one in Istanbul and then the one in 2019. Correct, yeah. So they won it in 77, 78, 81, 84, 2005, 2019. So late 70s, early 80s, England really dominated. You had 
what, Liverpool 77, 78, then Forest 79, 80, then Liverpool again 81, then Villa 82, then a year off, and then Liverpool again 84. So domination, late 70s, early 80s. Exactly. And you think about all of those teams as well when they did win it, the kits that they won as well. And don't forget, we have that new deal with the retro kit store that you can buy all your favorite kits of all of your teams all the way back into the seventies. So be sure to check that out on our, uh, on our social media channels. Yeah. Uh, Stu okay. Sharples, Stu Sharples, king, king of segways. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, that is uh, our top performers of each team. Let us know uh, if we've missed anyone, but no, I don't know about you, Jack, but I've, I've enjoyed that. Yeah. Good stuff. I'll be interested to see how these players do in the second half and see if we uh, get our predictions right, as uh, we normally do. Um, but with that being said, we bid you a farewell and we'll see you next week. Bye.